Welcome to the Splinters Podcast from the team on the bench. Community Radio's leading no-holds-barred Friday night sports show. Available online and replayed on Triple H 100.1 FM. Now, here's your host, the Sultan, Tony Dosen. Yes, welcome to Splinters on a Tuesday night on Triple H 100.1 FM and also on the web, live streaming every Tuesday night at 8 o'clock on www.triplehfm.com.au and also shortly after via podcast at podcasts.com and wherever else you pick up your podcasts, TuneIn, Spotify, iTunes, all the bad places you pick up podcasts as well. Now, since we started Splinters back in 2018, we made a point that we would cover the topics and we would discuss the issues and go behind the major events that the others don't and that the others probably don't want to do. And it is fitting, therefore, that as we commence our second full year of Splinters, we go straight off the bat with uh, an issue and with an evolving uh, topic that will be talked about in the world of sport, not only this year, but in the coming decade. Erica James became the face, unwittingly or otherwise, of transgender sport in this country when, in August of last year, she was part of the launch of Cricket Australia's transgender policy, which, in short, is not discriminating against any female or male that wanted to play Australia's national game on the base of gender. It is a privilege and a pleasure a few months down the track, given some of the reaction that has happened, both positive and, dare I say it, perhaps negative since, that Erica James is with me to open the batting, so to speak, even though Erica doesn't bat in the opening position for her club universities at the City First Grade competition. Uh, she's more of a power hitter down the order at six or seven to push the run, run rate along. But... We're delighted to have Erica James opening the batting for Splinters in 2020 for the first episode, episode number 60, uh, on this Tuesday night and at podcasts.com. Erica James, a warm welcome to you and welcome to Splinters. Uh, Hey, Tony. Uh, It's lovely to be here. Absolutely. Great to have you. Now, to put everything into context, we're not going to go into the whole transition story and everything else because that in a way, is not relevant to the sporting story. That is your story. But there is some context there, so we do have to touch on it uh, briefly. Just take us through the early years, as I call them, post-transition in your story and how you came across the game of cricket and why was it cricket as compared to something else in those early days? Okay, so... um... So I kind of, I started my transition when I was about 35, so oh, nine years ago, mm-hmm. um, when I actually started living full-time as a female. Uh, that was uh, in 2016, I think. Yep. And it didn't actually take me very long between... So I started, I started living full-time as a woman on the 1st of July in 2016. Mm-hmm. I started looking for a cricket club, um, I would say, within two months. Um, the reason I went for cricket was because I, although I was terrible at it, um, <laughs> when, I was, when I was in primary school, I, I used to love playing cricket. I used yeah. to love the fielding. That was, that was my, my best thing. I used to love just running around in the field. More than just batting and bowling. 
Yeah, I, I yeah, I was terrible at batting. I couldn't bowl at all. My fielding was great. Mm. So, um, uh, but I do, I did remember like enjoying the actual game of cricket and back from those early pre transition, yeah, like from, back from yeah, you know primary school, whatever, yeah, thirty, ever, thirty or so years, years ago. earlier. Mm. Um, and I, I did. I was consciously thinking that I would like to join a women's team of some kind. <laughs> it wasn't necessarily going to be sport. It might have been a choir. Uh, you know, I wasn't really sure what I was going to do. But I did want to, you know, explore my new life living in, in my authentic self. Because that new life came at the back end of what I call, and we discussed this off here in the green room, the years in exile. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's probably a quaint way. And I've just found the word that I was looking for quaint. in the green room, a quaint way to describe those years. It was definitely a self-imposed exile mm. um, that was mostly born of fear and, you know, I didn't really like myself either because I didn't like how I felt. Mm-hmm. I didn't like the fact that I thought that I knew that I was a female even though I had a male body and had been brought up as a male. Mm. So, um, yeah, so I, I kind of hid from the world. But um, I knew when I when I transitioned, um, I really felt like I wanted to join something as a sort of affirmation mm. of, my, of my actual gender because I'd never had the option of being in a group, uh, in an organised group. That respected you for being a woman. Exactly, exactly. And... Um, and, yeah, so it didn't take me very long to remember that cricket was, you know, something I had loved. Um, mm. And, you know, I have to admit that in the, in the, inter, in the years in between, mm-hmm. in my exile, yes. um, I did occasionally play laneway cricket um, with, with friends and, you know, that was fun. So, the old backyard cricket at Christmas or whatever yeah, it was. Yeah, exactly. Um, so, and when, when I... When I reached out to try and find a cricket club, mm. I didn't really have any hopes that it would happen. I have to be honest. I, I just I didn't think that anyone would be ready and anyone that would would be able to accept that. Mm. Um, so, so it was. Was it the good old fashioned? Let the fingers do the walking on Google, as it is the case with a lot of us now in the modern. It started. World. It started off with a, a lot of googling, and I found nothing. I so I was searching. Trans-friendly cricket clubs, Sydney. Mm-hmm. Um, most of my results were about Trans Tasman trophies and uh. stuff like that, and it was yeah, it was there was nothing to do with transgender. Um, but I did find a a document put out by Cricket New South Wales about mm-hmm. inclusivity. Yeah, and although it had nothing specifically about gender identity, it did have a name at the end, um, Julie Stafford. Yes, so I sent her an email mm-hmm. and um, I found out very recently I, 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 I met up with her uh, a month ago mm-hmm. um, I found out that when I sent that email it had kind of thrown her for a loop and was a bit and kind of freaked her out a little bit because she had no idea what to do with that basically uh, because she wasn't expecting anyone no. to respond it was just put out there perhaps as something to tick a box perhaps no, no, it definitely wasn't that. From, she, I'm talking from their end. Maybe? Yeah, no, from their end, they they believed they believed mm-hmm. that it was about inclusivity, but it mm-hmm. hadn't occurred to them, I think, that someone would respond. That well, that a transgender person might be one of those people who wanted to be included. Like I think they were dealing with things like religion, mm-hmm. race, uh, ability, yeah. and disability. Mm-hmm. Um, 
So they weren't really sure what to do. So I'd, I'd sent an email simply saying, I'm a transgender woman, I'm this old, do you have any idea who I might be able to contact mm. um, who might be a transgender-friendly cricket club and, mm. you know, some some other things. And I think in that email I actually said, I assume that I won't be allowed to play games, but I just want to join a club. I just want to practice and, you know, be, be part of something. And then all of a sudden the university's cricket club, what we've got to... Uh, uh, disseminate or actually articulate for lay people that in the men's game, the universities are separated. University of New South Wales and Sydney University. However, in the women's competition, they're combined to form the university's cricket club. That's just a a note for you that don't know the background to why is it Sydney, why isn't it Sydney Uni and Uni of New South Wales? They're combined, they pull their resources in the Sydney women's competition. So universities, cricket club, then came into Erica James's life uh, shortly after this search. Um, extremely shortly after. Mm. Um, two days after I sent ah. that initial email, I was meeting Alex Blackwell and the committee of, of our club, mm-hmm. and they just, you know, wanted to meet me and, you know, see if I was, you know, going to be, you know, work with work within the club. You okay. just said something there, yeah. which I think has just almost articulated the way they welcomed you in. You said, our club, not my club, not their club, not us and them, our club. That's something that I've gathered very strongly from dealing with teammate, clubmate Zoe Benjamin with her work on this station. How important has that welcomeness and inclusivity of our club, not you're someone different, been to your development going forward as a cricketer, let alone a person? It's been it's been incredibly important to me um, in that I, people talk about the, you know, the, the struggle to find your tribe. Mm. And when I found this club, I found my tribe. And mm. I didn't really, you know, pay much attention to that expression before. But when it happened, I was like... Oh, I get it now. Okay. So this is how it, works. it was yeah, it, it felt like being, you know, joining a big family. Mm. Yeah. And that's and that's how it's been from the three years you've been as you've made your way through the ranks. I and mean, we will discuss a little bit of that in the second half of the program. But in the, the three years since it's been it's been a ride, hasn't it? It really has. Um, I've had <laughs> I've had a lot of fun. I've played every game that I could play. Um, so for my first two seasons, I was playing every weekend. I'd play third grade on Saturday and second grade on Sunday. Mm. And that was every weekend for the entire two seasons until I got rated for second grade so I couldn't play the third grade anymore. Mm. But um, I couldn't get enough. Like I, I, Every week I would look forward to Wednesday night training and then as soon as that finished, I'd be looking forward to the weekend when mm. I'd get to do more cricket. Yeah. Um, it, 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 I don't know. It filled this... Void? I didn't... Yeah, but it's a void that I didn't even know was there. Mm. Um, so that was very cool. <laughs> I, can, I can imagine. Now, bear in mind that you took this up at an age where a lot of men and women are retiring from the game and... Mind you, they've been at it at that age for 15, 16, 17, 18 plus years. So perhaps from a cricketing perspective, 
those years in exile were a blessing and you had all this energy to give so you could back up and train once a week or twice a week and play two games a weekend and still have a little bit of petrol left in the tank to go to work or do whatever you needed to do Monday to Friday. I, I really feel that that is part of it. I didn't, I didn't really do any exercise for, you know, since I left school until I joined the uni's c- cricket club. So, yeah, my body wasn't tired. I hadn't, like, used my muscles that much. You know, I was fairly fit, um, but I wasn't en- doing any actual exercise. Mm. So, um, yeah, so I had all of this... Um, all of this energy and and sort of fresh muscle to mm. use, and the coiled spring. Yes, that that works very well. And <laughs> the, the apart from that, like I was so excited to be able to, you know, to be me finally. Mm. That I mean, that's very energizing as well. Like you know, when I wake up every day, I'm like, yes. I'm alive. This is great. <laughs> Especially on game days. Yes. How's it, how has that been the further you've progressed up the line now that you're in first grade as an established first grader, at least you've played every first grade game this season. And, except one. Uh, except one. Uh, right early in the season. And you're playing against very good opposition. We're talking players who have played WBBL current uh, Australian representatives, current New South Wales Breakers representatives. You're holding your own in a lot of aspects. How satisfying is that? It's it's pretty satisfying, I've got to say. It's it's so exciting when when I know that I'm out there on a field with people who've you know proved that they are some of the best cricketers in the country. World, and, sorry, and world in the world and in the world, and. You know, I get to play amongst them and, you know, I'm not as good as them and I'm not as fit as them and I'm, that's fine. I've got no problem with that. Uh, <laughs> but Bev, don't mind me saying this, but you are 40-something years of age, yeah. so it would be like any other 40-something-year-old woman taking on first graders in the either the Sydney men's or women's competitions. I don't know of any other 40-something-year-old in Sydney men's first grade and there are not many... 40-something-year-olds in Sydney women's first grade. Charlotte Anneveld is possibly the closest, but she's only 30-something. Okay, yeah. So there's nothing to be ashamed of there. Um, uh, The next question then would be, from a playing perspective, how many years are left in Erica James's body to play first grade? Now that you've just got there, I'm sure you want to... (laughs) Uh, enjoy it for a little while at least. It is it is something that sometimes keeps me awake at night. I, I have to be honest. Um, you know, and I think about the fact that sometimes during games I have to remind my captain that I I'm I can't run square leg to square leg every over. <laughs> fine I'm leg to fine not going to do it. No, no. <laughs> you know, I'll mutiny if, if before I do that. But um, <laughs> I think I think I've got a fair few left in me at mm. this stage. Um, my wife doesn't so much think that I do, uh, considering all the groaning and the uh, <laughs> complaining about muscle pains and things. On Sunday nights and Monday mornings? Monday and uh, Tuesdays, mm. yeah, every week. Um, and the occasional injuries that I come home with. But um, Well, how do you manage the body to get through now when you're at, you're at this stage? Is it Well, I'm very happy to say that being now being in first grade, mm. finally I've had a huge motivation to quit smoking. Which, <laughs> um, no, fair enough, because a lot still 
I smoked, have trouble. Yeah, I smoked for 24 years. And the, the main reason that I've quit is because I want to be able to run further and longer on mm. the cricket field. Um, that would have been a result of all those years in exile being cooped up. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. And, yeah, I mean, smoking was a crutch for me mm. a lot as well. But mm. um, I'm so glad that I've quit. <laughs> um, I can run a lot further and a lot longer now. And mm. I don't have to, you know, call no run after we run a, 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 single. a two. Uh, Single, I could probably keep going, but mm. um, if we run a two, in the past it's been like, no, that's enough. Don't <laughs> just block the next one or hit a boundary, please. <laughs> no quick turning for the third on the throw, <laughs> at least for the moment. Um, all right, what about the teammates? I mentioned to you off air uh, that I don't even have to ask Zoe Benjamin from the experiences that... I've had working with her, but whenever uh, yourself, your position is brought up, the university club is fiercely proud and fiercely loyal to you. I I wouldn't go as far as to say protective, but if it came to the crunch, they probably would be that you are definitely one of the tribe. You are a university's player and um, you are one of the team, a, a member of the club, a valued member of the club, and they're very fiercely proud of that. Uh, how does that make you feel to hear an observance from a relative outsider just on picking up a vibe like that? That's that's really awesome. I I mean, I, I don't know if people do pick up how close um, I am with, with all of my team and how much, how safe I am with them. Mm. Um you know, not that I'd feel in danger without them, mm. but you know, they are. They're very. They are. They're even protect, protective. Um, they like what I've brought to the club, which is energy and enthusiasm. Um, you know, I'm not tired of cricket, which you know I think sometimes people, my, by my age, I mean part of the reason they retire is not just because their body's giving up, it's because they're sick of it. Mm. Um, you know, it's a lot. It's a big time um, killer. Yeah, that's not the word I'm no, looking for. No, that's but right. But yeah. it, it is. It can be. It's a time suck. Yep. Yeah. And it can be a chore. From my experience, towards the back end of my time playing at the low levels, I did. That was exactly the problem because you also had some of the other issues to deal with the off the field issues, especially if you got involved in administration at club level. Mm-hmm. Um, so yes, at the end of 15, 16, 17, 18, however many, 20 years, uh, it can be that way. That's not the case with you because you're only in year three, four or, year yeah, three, it's three or fresh. four. I'm, I'm fresh. Mm. And, and you know, I think people feel that from me and I, I think that rubs off on other people you know, on the field and, you know, in the committee and things as well. Like, you know, I just want to do everything that I can do for my club, for my... Um, yeah, and for my Being cricketing. And your cricketing. Spe- yeah. Speaking of which, how was the reaction in those early days? I know you've come out and said that there wasn't uh, much of a reaction, given that the reputation, rightly or wrongly, of Australian cricket, even at park level, particularly in the men's game, is for the sledge, is for the words that are said, is for the chirping that's out there. Given that eventually your status and uh, your background may or may not have come to light amongst opposition teams that you played against. How did they treat you out in the middle? 
and after play, by I... and large. Absolutely, I, I can't fault them mm. at all. I, I have had, no, I've had no sledges. I've had no transphobic comments uh, on the field from any player in any club. Mm-hmm. Um, I'd love to be able to say that that was the case for non-players, but um, you know there have been a couple of incidents, mm. and you know, yeah, it's it's you not just, it's not do, really unexpected. <laughs> mm. But you just have to deal. With, how hard were they to deal with? Well, the first, the first one, the first time it happened, I I really struggled a mm. lot mm. with it. Um, I think I ended up having a day or two off work because my mental health just plummeted. Um, subsequently, when the same things happened, I, I was ready for it. It was just that that was the first time, mm. and you know, there's always going to be a little bit more. Um, you're more visible when you're playing first grade. Yeah. So, you know, it's, I'm not that surprised that it hasn't really happened, well, it, that it has only happened since I've been in first grade. Right. And that's only been in the last 12 months from a couple of yeah. those. Probably because of the role that you're now playing. You come in at number six or number seven um, as a uh, hard-hitting, lower-order batter that uh, can push the run rate along very quickly and can clear the boundary um, relatively uh, quickly, if... and then and then get out very quickly too. <laughs> well, that's that that can be the way of the uh, middle to lower order uh, pinch hitter, uh, but that's no different to a lot of pinch hitters uh, that are out there. Um, but given that your background is there, that's probably where those comments comments are coming from, from a purely pers- playing perspective. Ah, here's Erica. She'll. She'll hit her three or four sixes, get them in front, then they win the game, and well, yada yada yada. The bit that I don't, the bit that I don't get about that, like I can understand that it's frustrating to ha- have someone in the other team hitting you around, mm. but the fact is, I'm not the biggest hitter in my team. I'm not. There are bigger hitters in the teams of the of the clubs that there were incidents with. Mm-hmm. There are bigger hitters than me there. Mm-hmm. Um, I can't throw as far as a lot of people in my mm-hmm. team. I can't bowl at all. I'm terrible. <laughs> but not many 40-something-year-olds can throw very far anymore. Yeah. So um, I, don't, I don't understand how I can really be construed as threatening. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I go out there and I hit the ball a few times, but I don't hit the ball any more... Like, mm. I can't hit it any further than anyone else. If I'm willing to go for a six off every ball, you know, which doesn't work. Mm. Um, if I'm willing to, you know, that's nothing to do with me having previously lived as a male. Mm. It's that, you know, yeah. like, like hitting the ball hard. It's yeah, fun. exactly. <laughs> and there to have fun. And, and if it comes off, it can turn a game. And I think it's the usual reaction from someone who is very competitive and wants to win and just wants to have a go at the main threat and in inverted commas from a playing perspective, mm-hmm. which I suppose is, um, in a way, uh, the biggest compliment you can get because that's what you're after, to be treated as another female player of equal ability or regarded in an equal sense to every other of the 21 players that you play with every Sunday. Yeah, I, I'd like to think that I'm, you know, I've... I've earned my spot in first grade through hard work, not through 
political yeah, correctness and or not, an agenda. Not through my biology. Mm. Yeah. Alex Blackwell, you came across her very early. She's been a a pillar, a stalwart, uh, a dominant figure on and off the field in the Australian women's uh, history of the game in the last 20 years. She's just announced her retirement finally as a player. Uh, she's already moved into the boardroom of uh, Cricket New South Wales and it will be inevitable that she'll probably end up in the boardroom of Cricket Australia at some point in the future given her other commitments. She's also got a burgeoning media career. But how important was she to you personally in those early days when you came along probably as nervous as a kitten to that first couple, three, half dozen universities training sessions? Um, she wasn't there, but... Um, so after I'd met her mm. on that Wednesday, the following Wednesday I went to training for the first time. Mm. She, when I got home, there was a there was an email waiting for me mm. from her saying, "How did it go?" You know, like she took mm. a real interest, and yep. um, and then I saw her on and off um, in the few weeks before the actual season started, mm. and you know, she was so encouraging and so welcoming, and. So down to earth. For someone who's achieved so much, she's, you know, she treated me as an equal. Mm. Um, you know, I wasn't special in any way, which is great. Yeah. Because I don't want to be. Yeah. Um, and I don't know, she's a very inspiring woman. Mm. Although you have become special in other ways, which we'll discuss in the second half of the program after the break, which is coming up shortly. Uh, one... One last thing, and this will be a teaser for the second half uh, of uh, of the program where we get into things like policies, etc., the future. Uh, when did the approach from Cricket Australia come when they were talking about the formation of their transgender policy? Um, I actually got a phone call from Alex Blackwell because she mm-hmm. was already in the working group yeah. um, the night before my wedding. Right. So that was the... What a time to get a phone call like it was, that. It was great. I was, I was sitting Did she know you were looking... getting married the next day? No. no. <laughs> I, was sitting, I was sitting looking at the stars out in the out mm-hmm. of vineyard and, you know, she gave me a call and said, oh, can you come down to Melbourne, you know, tomorrow or can you at least do a phone call? And I was like, no, I'm going to get married. No, I'm getting married I'm going to get married instead. Yeah. <laughs> but but um, that mm. was that was how it started. And that was... So that was in October 2018. Mm. And the rest followed from there, which led to the announcement of the policy, which we will come to now straight after this break. Time has flown. We've already reached the innings break, um, the lunch break or whatever break it is, however and wherever and whenever you're listening to this episode of Splinters, we will discuss that policy, the future, and other bits and pieces with Erica James, Australia's only current transgender person that is playing first grade cricket. That is um, a noted fact. That we know of. That we know of, absolutely. Um, the only one that we know of, Erica James, will be d- back to discuss more things policy wise, cricket wise, and the future after this break as this episode of Splinters continues. 
2019 Australian Ice Hockey League season has concluded with your All About Caring Sydney Bears winning it all. That doesn't mean it's all over for the year on the hockey front. Log on to bearsshop.com.au for all your Bears merchandise options. And stay tuned to Splinters and The Bench for updates coming out of the Australian Women's Ice Hockey League and the world's top competition, the National Hockey League. Sydney Bears, hear us roar. Sponsors of Triple H. Welcome back to Splinters on a Tuesday night on Triple H 100.1 FM at www.triplehfm.com.au and at podcasts.com or wherever else you pick up your podcasts. The good and bad ones. Spotify, iTunes, TuneIn, all the others. My name is Tony Dosen, the Sultan. Opening the batting for the first episode of Splinters for 2020 is Erica James who's with me in the studio. She plays for... The university's cricket club in first grade, she is, as we know or understand, Australia's only current transgender person that plays first grade sport or cricket in this country. We picked up at the break, uh, Erica, about that phone call to be a part of that committee to sit on the policy that was released by Cricket Australia last August on transgender uh, equality. That would have come as perhaps a surprise or a shock, and not just for the fact you got the first phone call the night before your wedding. Uh, yeah, that was that was quite a quite a cool surprise. Um, it was it was kind of a pity that the timing was so bad because you know, I was so excited to hear that Cricket Australia were doing something like that, and it was honestly the first that I'd heard about them working on it was when I got that phone call inviting me to you know have a voice in it. Mm. So then you eventually post-wedding, whatever, took your place uh, on that committee with a number of other prominent people, including Alex Blackwell, amongst others. Um, How was that time? Uh, A a bit of a, you could say, an eye-opening look into what goes into the formulating of policy and what goes on behind the scenes and the corridors of power, dare I say. It was it was really interesting. Um, like, they, they put together such a, a diverse group of of experts. Um, you know, we had scientists, we had uh, legal people, we had other... There were other transgender athletes, other transgender um, activists, mm. um, you know, cricketers. Mm-hmm. Um, it was... And it was great. Like they, at no point did I feel like they were just inviting me so they could say that they had. Like when I no when I no had, box ticking. No, mm. no. When I when I had something to say, they they stopped and they listened, and you know they'd take it on board. And you know there was some there were a few small changes to wording, mm. um, you know that were, that had been problematic that that came came through me being there, but um, I think it also helped that you know that they heard from someone who was having that lived experience in mm. what they were trying to policy. Policy. I've just used policy as a verb. Well, and that's all right. In trying to formulate a policy. That's probably, great. Yes. Thank you. No, that's all right. Yeah. So um, then it took, what was it, nearly the 12 or nine months or seven months or eight months to formulate the policy until the release in, in August last year. Yeah. So there were, I think, 
well, since from when I um, joined in on the on the group, mm. um, I think there were six or seven drafts. So each time one mm. came out, everyone would go away, read through them, and then we'd come back, reconvene, and you know discuss anything that we that we saw as issues. Mm. And it was quite amazing the way that yeah the different experts in the different fields would pick up different things mm. about exactly the same point. So, yeah. you know, I'd have something to say about this particular yeah. know, line or clause mm-hmm. and someone else would say, yeah, and also if we're going to do that, then we have this to do as this. well. I can't give a, cl- a concrete example. Mm. But, oh, yeah, um, sure. But, yeah, it was it was so robust, like the way that they made sure that every I was dotted, every T was crossed, it was awesome. It, it would have been cool. uh, a bit of a buzz to say, hey, I'm actually formulating some policy. I'm actually making a difference, a real concrete difference. It's legacy stuff, this, because um, this is going to be a policy that will be perhaps a benchmark. I know that they used um, reference to other policies around the world, but from an Australian perspective, this is the first one of its of its type amongst Australian uh, sporting bodies. So it's a legacy. It's a real benchmark, nailed down post sort of stuff. It would have been a buzz to say, hey, you know what, I'm making a difference here. Well, I came out of it feeling like it was probably one of the most important things I've ever done in my life. Mm. Um, you know, if I, if, if I can make things a little better for the, for the you know, gender diverse people that come after me, yeah. like, you know, like our, like the older transgender people have done for me. Like, mm. you know, there's no way yeah. that I could be playing as first cricket, grade as cricket. my first grade mm. at cricket as my normal self mm. without all of the groundwork that's been done by, you know, the trans and gender diverse community, you know, previously. Mm. So, mm. you know, it's, it's a bit of, bit of a paying it forward. Yeah. I feel really lucky to have, you know, grown up when I have. Um, and and I feel a little bit jealous sometimes of the of the younger people who are who are growing up now, where it's where it's also a little bit more accepted again. You'll have to be careful that when the time comes, you don't fall into the habit that a lot of people of the age group do. That says, in my day, it was this, and it's and in my day, it was that. Um, when someone comes along five to ten years down the track and says, ah. You have no idea about what we're going through now when you can turn around and say, well, you know what, I do because I lived it a lot harder than you back in my day. But that's going to be a challenge, isn't it, to not fall into that trap? Um, I don't think it's going to be hard. I, mm. You know, I, I, I keep meeting you know, new, new people, um, new transgender people mm. you know, who are younger and stuff. You know, I, my, I have a very um, fluid circle of mm. of contacts within the community and you know so I'm learning from them just as much as you know just as much I'm working for them I'm also learning you know how things are different what's been their reaction to the you being the public face as you were of that policy announcement last August were you given the choice to say no I don't want to be the face or yes I or I do or yeah. you weren't given that choice and how have they reacted since this, I wouldn't call it notoriety but certainly this public attention that has now fallen upon yourself since that time. Um, I definitely had a choice uh, the I possibly didn't envisage um, just how big it would be mm. in the end, you know I thought 
Cricket Australia is putting out a policy about transgender and gender diverse people, that's you know it's it was bound to happen at some point. You know, mm. is anyone? Yeah, you know, there'll be a little bit of backlash, but it won't be it won't be big. Famous, but, um, famous last words. It was it was huge, <laughs> um, and you know, and some of it was negative, and there was a lot of really positive stuff too. Mm. Um, but there was also some negative stuff, even from the transgender community, who felt that it didn't go far enough. Mm. So, you know, I struggled with that a little bit. Um, yeah, you because know, we we tried so hard to find that balance between inclusivity and fairness. Yeah. Um, yeah, I don't know. One one day we might get there. You know, it's 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 not perfect. Uh, and you know, Cricket Australia went into it with the view to um, you know looking at it again every year mm-hmm. to check that it was you know that it still stood up, mm. um, which I think is really important. Like putting in a policy and then just going right, that's it, we're done. Rubbing it like wiping your hands mm. that's that's crazy when when it's something that people still don't and like not that many people understand you know what it is to be transgender mm, mm, absolutely i know that going into some of the tin tacks of the policy you did have a few things to say about the the five um nanomoles, nanomoles yep. per liter in blood which is the arbitrary line that has been written into this policy. It was 10, uh, ten nanomoles uh, per litre in serum. Mm. Um, which, is, which has been written in because you've made the point uh, that, well, how can you be as arbitrary as that when some people will feel that they're a transgender person when they're at 15 nanomoles, let alone 10 or 5? How yeah. can you be arbi- How can you rule an arbitrary line on that? Um well, the the difficult thing is that it's the best thing we have to mm. to test the fairness of masculinity and testosterone, like and the effect of testosterone mm. on the body. But you know, although we haven't figured out what it is yet, yeah, at some point someone's going to go, oh no, hang on, this is how we can measure it, and then you know, hopefully we'll have a a more. Um, Fair way of a more measure, accurate a way, more accurate of, way? Of, of judging whether or not you know someone is whether it's a level playing field. Mm. Um, the the ten nanomoles, you know, if you you could have someone who has ten nanomoles of testosterone in their serum, but they never went through male puberty, mm. um, and you know they may be, you know. They may look like I would like to look, have nice slim mm, arms mm, and mm, mm. stuff. Yeah. Um, yeah, and not be particularly strong. And then, you know, you've got another person who, you know, started on hormones, they get their testosterone levels down, and, you know, maybe for the first year or two, you know, they're still really, really strong and, they're, mm. and their testosterone may be a lot lower. Yeah. So I, Mine's been hovering around zero for... Well, since about nine months after I started hormones, mm-hmm. and I, I'm still fairly strong, but mm. I have lost a lot of muscle. <laughs> yeah. yeah, sure, sure, absolutely. You mentioned that there were some on one side in the transgender community who were disappointed that it didn't go far enough. Then, of course, at the other end of the uh, extremity scale, you had. The usual suspects, um, led by the Prime Minister, 
and a few others that said that it was a sledgehammer uh, approach, that it was too arbitrary, that there were other things that were more important uh, than this policy for Cricket Australia and for sporting bodies right now. How much did you expect that to come from that, dare I say, a political wing? And how disappointing was it that it did eventually come? I, I couldn't see why the Prime Minister would get involved at all, to be honest. Uh, like, how, how is it affecting him? Um, it's not. I don't know. It's it's like he's weighing in to score some political points, saying, yes, yes, we're conservative, we're the Liberals, yes, vote for us. Um, you know, and keep the people who voted for them on side because, uh, you know, there's a good chance that they would think mm. in a similar way. But the... I don't know. I found that one of the most difficult things to understand was that he said, um, I look, I, I'm not going to stop it at the moment. I'm not going to. I'm not going to put an end but. to this. But no, but actually, he said, "I'm not going to put an end mm. to this." Not that he has the power to, anyway. Mm. I'm not going to put an end to this. Um, I have to. I have to work on more important things like the mental health initiatives. Mm. What is inclusivity if it's not a mental health initiative? That's it's, it's yeah. insane. The mm. the being being discluded from from anything. Or excluded, yeah. Ex- that's what I was trying to say. Yeah. Excluded from anything, yeah. It doesn't make you feel very good. Well, um, when when you you know constantly deny that transgender people you know should be allowed to do what they do in their authentic selves, mm. y- you're causing mental health problems. Yes, absolutely. And well, that's a and that is indeed a, another debate. Was it disappointing that you had some, I wouldn't say feedback from the transgender community that it didn't go far enough, or was that expected as well? Because there's always going to be some in the in the in the radicals of of all the on the radicals of the extremities who are always want a little bit more. Well, after I received the feedback, you know, I thought about it and I was like, yeah, I probably should have seen that coming. I didn't expect it to, mm. to be honest. Um, the points that they made. You know, both sides of the argument mm-hmm. were pushing for it to be all the way. So yeah. either no transgender people or no rules for transgender yeah. people. And that's impossible. Well. In the current Well, you climate. certainly can't have both. Mm. So, you know, trying to find that middle ground. You know, I, I was actually very, you know, in retrospect, I was really pleased that we ended up annoying people on both sides. Because that mm. means that we had found a compromise. And you found the middle ground. Yeah. A good fu- compromise leaves everyone unhappy. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> Indeed. Um, now, you mentioned that this is going to be reviewed every year. Uh, have you been asked to come back to be part of the review process or that hasn't been sorted out yet? Because that's due later this year. August, yeah, September, yeah, October. it will probably be, be due to start looking at... Um, yeah, not like in the next few months, mm-hmm. I would say. I haven't heard anything yet. Um, I have no doubt that I will. Um, whether or not it's to invite me or to, you know, maybe they want to get other fresh voices. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I know that there are a few other transgender people playing women's cricket in um, in Australia mm-hmm. and in Sydney. Yeah. Um, so, you know, maybe, maybe it's someone else's yeah. turn. Um, yeah, but I'd, I'm happy to 
to jump in there again. You know, I've, I've obviously learnt mm. a lot from the things that I've heard back from other people. Mm. Now, what has been the feedback to you personally since you have were made the public face, for want of a better term, standing alongside Kevin Roberts and David Hughes and Alex Blackwell and all of those um, media photo opportunities, for want of a better word, that uh, then you've had to go back out and do your normal thing in life and then you've had to go back out and play cricket again. Um, how has... How has that gone with this public profile that you really didn't sign up for when a you went on the consultative group and b when you said yes to being the public face of the announcement you didn't sign up for any of that um i think you know the the subtext would have been that yes i did sign up for all that mm-hmm. um yeah i don't mind a little bit of little bit of publicity i'm okay with that um, <laughs> Uh, but you've I, had a couple of TV interviews. You've had a number of um, articles written. You've had this. Yes. It's, it's, and none of that would have happened if you st- stood back and said, you know what? No, thank you. Thank you, but no, thank you. I appreciate it, but hey. Well, I think what's the benefit of the whole thing? I mean, yeah, I got some pretty nasty feedback and comments and I read things that I really wish that I hadn't bothered reading. Mm. But... Um, but they would have been coming to you, would have half expected those. Yeah, absolutely. Mm. But what has come out of it is the fact that I do now have a bit of a bigger voice. I have the confidence to get out there and talk about, you know, the issues that, that I face as a mm. transgender person. I don't pretend that I speak for every transgender woman. Um, but, you know, the visibility is really important in, in normalising mm. your gender identity. Um it's still considered, I think, in this country, you know, being transgender is still not normal. Mm. You've got transgender people and you've got normal people. Right. And and I think that the more visibility there can be, um, the more normal it seems that we exist because mm. we do. And mm. a lot of people still don't think that we do. <laughs> um, you know, they, they know where... They know there are of people you, who say that they're transgender, they, they but they don't believe you. that mm. there is such a thing as transgender. They know of you, but they don't know you. That's right. And um, so this is it's giving me a chance to to actually speak up and you know get a transgender voice out there. There there are lots of transgender voices out there. This is another one. If we mm. if we can get you know some more volume, some more visibility, it's got to be a good thing. How's it been on the home life? How's all this been on? On your wife, um, she's have to have been particularly <laughs> supportive uh, since all this started last August. Because um, she wouldn't have signed up for it, that's for sure. She has been absolutely amazing. Um, you know, she's she's been there to comfort me when I, you know, was bawling my eyes out about things that I'd read or, mm. you know, about when I got home from work on the train and I'd felt at risk on the train and I've got mm. home and it's like such a relief and I'm, you know, and the tears come. Mm. You know, she's had to deal with all of that, um, you know, and she's she's been a rock for me. Yeah. Um, but I, I've got a huge support network, yeah. um, you know, already existing and, you know, it does help that I live in the inner west. Mm-hmm. There's, you know, everywhere I go there's support. Yeah. In that part of Sydney, absolutely. It's yeah. it's been It's been one of the bedrocks. Um, how has um, you mentioned earlier in the first half of the program that there were a few carps from 
off-field officials, but since the the public faces come out and since uh, all these all this media attention, how hard has it been to actually get out there and just play again and just train and just be a cricketer? So easy. Mm. It's all I've wanted to do. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Rather than have all this public attention. That's right. Like, I, I'm just going out there and, and doing the thing that I love again. Um, and, you know, and, there, and it's really amazing that I, I got quite a few um, messages from people that I, I barely knew mm. who played cricket in Sydney um, after the after the policy came out. Members and, of oppo- members of opposing clubs, for instance? Yeah, yeah. Um, you know, just expressing their support. And, you know, some of them I didn't really know. Mm. Um, but, you know, now I'm playing playing against them and I, and I recognise them and it's like yeah, I'm out there playing with people that I know mm. support it and they're the ones who get affected by it. So that's actually really empowering. Mm. Um, you know, the that people... They're, that the, they're affected about, by it now more than you are sometimes. Possibly, yeah. Mm. Yeah. So, um, yeah, it's very... It's it's great just being back out there playing. You know, honestly, I love it. I hate it when it gets to the end of the season um, and I know that there's four or five months before I get to play it again. passes quickly, the winter months, I can assure you. No, it doesn't. Really? <laughs> it no. goes so slowly. <laughs> And then, the, and, then, and then the seasons go quickly. And then the season goes quickly, yes. That's always the way. All right. Um, one or a couple more things before we finish up because time has flown. We're flying along here. We could have this discussion for another two or three hours, but we only have a, the limited hour at our disposal. Oh, I'll come uh, back sometime. No, we may have to. <laughs> we may have to pick up on this um, at some point in the future, no doubt, um, even on a Friday night edition of The Bench. But that's... That's another story for another day. You mentioned that you still think you have a few years left in you. Um, Would you like to see the day perhaps when another transgender player comes along to the university's club um, and then you can take that transgender person under the wing and say, welcome aboard? We already have a couple. Oh, I see. Okay. That's how much I know. So you... They, you've taken them under the wing, or have you formed a little, a little bit of a, a support group for each other already? Or uh, how's that, how does that work out? Initially, yes, but I haven't had to. Like the club is, the club mm. just does it. They, you know, everyone's one of the girls. Fair enough. Which, which is, I don't know. It's amazing to watch. Like watching what happened to me mm-hmm. like, when I joined the club, happening to other people who had the same fears and the same concerns about mm. joining a, a club. Yeah. Um, yeah, it's a beautiful thing. What about other clubs? Um, you probably pick up things along the grapevine along the way. If there are transgender persons at other clubs, are they coming to you with some feedback as to how their experiences are? Um, I only know of one. Mm-hmm. Um, she's awesome. I really like her. Yeah. Um, and she plays second grade. Um, well, yeah, so I no, won't be playing against her. Oh, but fair enough. No names, no pack drill. But, yeah, no, we, we, we chat and we, we um, exchange stories, but I haven't known her for very long. So. Okay. But, yeah, I'd, as far as I know, she hasn't had any particular issues. Oh, good. And that's probably the, the, end, res, the end game, isn't it? Yeah. That's the end goal, that everyone just gets out there and enjoys their sport, wherever it be cricket or whatever, whatever other sport activity they partake in. That's well, the end goal, isn't it? Well, cricket's supposed to be a sport for all. 
So if it is, then we've won. That's the policy, and hopefully that will be the uh, the way forward. One last thing. Um, there will inevitably be a time, maybe in the not-too-close uh, future, but at some point in the future, there will be a transgender person who will be of such ability and will be performing to a level where that transgender person will be considered to play for higher honours than just first grade. New South Wales Breakers a WBBL franchise and the green and gold of Australia. Do you really think that the cricketing community of Australia and that Cricket Australia is ready yet to take that quantum leap and select a transgender person on merit into a higher honour representative team? Or are we still some time away from that? I... I think that when it happens, it's going to be really hard for for that person. There is going to be a lot of negativity. Um, but I still think that it'll happen. I still think that the selectors, you know, will, will you know, I think they will be, they'll show integrity mm. and, and they'll go with it. If they think that a person, you know, fits into that slot in the team, mm. in the Australian team or the breakers, yeah, I, I absolutely think that, that we're ready. Because there's going to be a lot of backlash from the political establishment, from the usual suspects in certain sections of the media uh, who will say that it's uh, the PC agenda... Gone mad. Gone mad, and that uh, this person is a token rather than a person on merit. Yeah. I, um... Yeah, and I, I, I don't think... I think there will be a lot of comments about it. There will be... You know, it'll be quite intense. Will I you? really, I really hope that whoever it is, you know, and I, I hope that I'm, you know, still around to see it. To support that person. Yeah, I, I want to see it, like, definitely within the next few years. Um, no, I don't know if we will. I, I don't, I don't know of anyone who's, mm. who's moving up, like, who's young enough mm. to, to be moving into those areas. But, um, yeah, no, I think, I think despite... I think there will be enough support behind those people that it'll happen. Well, if that day does come, and I think it will come eventually, um, this policy that you have put your name to will certainly be a landmark in that direction. We have run out of time. The umpires have pulled out their light meters and have called stumps. It has been uh, a buzz to have you here on Splinters for the last hour. Um and we will have to continue this discussion at some point in the future down the track, perhaps at the time of the next review. Thank you so much, Erica James, for being a part of this first episode. Uh, You've opened the batting and scored a very nice 75 not out for the first (laughs) edition of Splinters for 2020. Thank you so much. Thank you, Tony. It's been a great pleasure. Erica James with us on Splinters. That wraps up this first edition for 2020. We will be back next Tuesday night again at 8 o'clock on Triple H 100.1 FM and on the web at www.triplehfm.com.au and then afterwards at podcasts.com. Until then, this is Tony Dose and the Sultan saying be good or be good at it. From this episode of Splinters, it's goodbye.